On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps' opening weekend in South Carolina, where they secured three victories over three different opponents. We also take a look ahead to this weekend, when the Terps will have their 2020 home opener against the Rhode Island Rams. Also, I sit down with Terps pitcher and Friday night starter Sean Fisher to talk about his journey through baseball, leading to his opening weekend win with the Maryland Terrapins. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Zach Solon. Welcome into episode 74 of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Zach Solon with you as always, and with me as always is Ben Curtis. Ben, you were not with me down in South Carolina this weekend. How was your weekend? I had a great weekend. Got to see some Maryland lacrosse and came back with a big victory over Penn. Nice comeback victory and got to listen to some Maryland baseball. A couple of comeback victories themselves. Absolutely. The Terps off to a 3-0 and start for the first time since 2015. That is the big news. Getting it out of the way right away. Some impressive performances from some freshmen. Some guys who Rob Vaughn and his coaching staff knew they had to rely on really stepped up throughout the weekend. So overall, I mean, when you go 3-0, you kind of have to consider the weekend a success. Yeah, you can't really ask for much more than that. They won in three different ways as well, which I think will also help, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more down the road, but can't really ask for much more going down to the Palmetto State. Yes, I uh, was able to reference that a couple of times. Excellent. I am very glad. And then this weekend, the Terps will have their home opener in the Old Line State, which is Maryland. I know that one. And then uh, back to South Carolina. Uh, after that, but that's way in the future. First, we're going to recap the weekend that was a 3-0 start for Maryland, and they kind of had to play a bit of a funky schedule. So when Maryland announced their schedule, they were supposed to play three games at the College of Charleston, but the Cougars were scheduled to play Iona that weekend. So the teams had to work it out so that College of Charleston played two games against Iona, one game against Maryland. Iona played two games against College of Charleston, one game against Maryland. And then the Terps said, okay, we'll find ourselves a third game to play. They reached out to Charleston Southern, said, hey, I know you guys are scheduled to face Ryder, but is there any chance you would want to play a fourth game that weekend? And Charleston Southern, luckily for Maryland, was said, yes, we'll host you on Friday night for our season opener. And Maryland went in and beat them 11-2, to but... They got their three games in and off to a 3-0 and start. So let's get started to recap that for you right away. It all started Friday night at Charleston Southern when the Terps took on the Buccaneers for the second time in history. Maryland put a junior on the mound, but he was making his first career start. It was Terps pitcher Sean Fisher. And what he wanted to do was go out there, get a start, and he'd been a bullpen pitcher for his entire career. His longest outing came last season as a sophomore. He pitched three innings against Ohio State, but this one he went five and a third and got the win. Yeah, and it seemed obviously I wasn't there, but it was a bit surprising from Fisher. As you mentioned, a bullpen guy, but it seemed as though he got better as the game went on. He had some trouble in that second inning, gave up those two runs, but after that really settled down, it appeared at least, and it was a really good sign from Fisher. So before we break it down, here's the highlights from that game so you can see how the Terps secured that 11-2 victory. It has been 266 long days, but Terps baseball is back here on the Maryland Baseball Network as the Terps get ready to take on the Charleston Southern Buccaneers. It's time for baseball in 2020 here in Charleston, South Carolina. And the first pitch is swung on and lined down the left field line and drops in for a base hit. Alley rounds first. He's going to head for two. The throw from Andronic heads into second. Alleen is safe, and he leads off the 2020 season with a double. 
Bednar taking on that honor this year. He steps into the right-handed batter's box. He swings at the first pitch and grounds it to short. This will get the run in. Kelleher fields and throws to first, but Aline scores the first run of the Terps season, and it's 1-0. It's grounded softly to second. Austin Chavis comes on, fields, and throws to first in time for the final out of the inning. First career start for Sean Fisher, a 1-2-3 inning. Terps lead 1-0. Fisher sets, ready for the 0-2 delivery to Kelleher. He delivers. It's lined out to center field and will drop in for a base hit. Horton scores, rounding first and stopping there is Kelleher with an RBI single in his first at-bat as a Buccaneer. Now the 0-2. Rounded to third, past the diving Gardner and Cowles into left field for a base hit. Maggio rounding third, here's the throw to the plate. He's out by a mile. Good throw from Troy Schreffler in left to put an end to this inning. But Charleston Southern takes the lead. They're now up 2-1 to one on Maryland. The 0-2 pitch. Chopped to third, fielded there by Hardwick. He throws the first over the head of Stoudemire, and that's going to allow one run to score as Flint comes in. Moving to third is Cowles. Moving to second is Chavis, and the Terps have tied it. It's 2-2 here in the sixth. First pitch to Gardner is hit softly in the air to the infield, and it's bobbled by the second baseman. Risk and it drops in and another run will score and the Terps have the lead. And now the pitch. Bubba hits one into the gap in right center and it drops in for a base hit. Vote scores. Rounding third coming in to score is Flint. Gardner stops at third. Bubba's in there with a two RBI double and the Terps have blown it open. It's 8-2 here in the seventh. Bello, the payoff pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Sam Bello in his debut strikes out the side in the eighth. He is 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. First pitch to him is lined out to center field. Going back is Sandstrom, and he can't make the catch, and it's going to roll all the way to the wall. Gardner scores. Here comes Aline. He'll score. Schreffler is headed for third. He is safe. It's a two-RBI triple for the freshman, and the Terps lead 10 to 2. The payoff pitch. Gets the inside corner for a called strike three, and the Terps win it. 11-2 the final. So you heard it there, but now we're going to go into a, a bit of a full breakdown. So the first pitch of the season, Chris Aline, who we know battled injuries late last year, but at the beginning of the season in 2019, he was hot. He steps into the box. He's a switch hitter. He's going against Jarrett Bennett, who was a really good left-handed starter for the Buccaneers. He steps in. First pitch he sees, hits a double down the left field line. Can't really ask for a better start to a season than that. No, it's the approach you want from a leadoff guy as well. If you see a good pitch, jump on it quickly, and he did just that and set Maryland up in a good position. So then he scored. Randy Bednar grounded out. First Terps RBI of the season. If you had the prop bets going, it was Randy Bednar with the RBI. Chris Allen with the run scored. And then the Terps had a one nothing lead going into the bottom of the first inning, their first inning in the field. And Sean Fisher comes out, works a 1-2-3 inning, including a strikeout. I think that's a pretty safe bet, Randy Bednar, on the prop bet, if you <laughs> wanted to put that on first RBI. But a really good sign for Sean Fisher, getting some confidence underneath his belt. First start, as you mentioned, going on the road as well. Season opener, can't really ask for much more than scoring a run in the top half of the inning and then one, two, three in the bottom half. And then you go to the top of the second inning, Terp making his debut, Tucker Flint, who we'll talk more about. He, he had such a good weekend, did the freshman. He had a single to start off that inning, but then the Terps' next three hitters all got out, so nothing going there. Then in the bottom of the second, things got pretty interesting. Sean Fisher got into a little bit of trouble, but the Terps' defense also a bit shaky. Um, as we go through it here, uh, Kyle Horton led off on a fielding error by Austin Chavis, who is making his Terps debut as well. And then Dante Blakeney with a uh, hit by pitch. And then a couple of scoring plays. Kelleher with a single 
out to center, and that allowed Horton to score. And then Maggio with an RBI single. That brought in the second run, making it a 2-1 Charleston Southern lead, even though both those runs were unearned for Sean Fisher. But nonetheless, Terps were down after two. And that's not necessarily the position. Obviously, it's not the position you want, but especially after such a, a solid first inning. Put Maryland behind the eight ball a little bit, especially on the road with the number of freshmen that they have, and it was the first real adversity of the season for them. So we were back and forth scoreless until the sixth, and that's when things started to change for the Terps. And it was really because uh, Charleston Southern's pitcher, Jarrett Bennett, really shut them down. We'll get you his final line here. The lefty in the first game of the season for the Buccaneers went five innings, allowing three hits, one run, two walks, seven strikeouts. So he did allow that run in the first, but after that he was pretty lights out. Yeah, you can't ask for much more than that from your Friday night starter. And if he continues to do that, Charleston Southern's going to be just fine throughout the remainder of the season, but confounded Maryland a little bit, especially early on. So then in the top of the six, Connor Yoder comes in. He gets Maxwell Costas to fly out and Justin Vogt to strike out. But then the Terps started a bit of a two-out rally. Tucker Flint with a single. That was his second hit of the night, looking really good. And then a Ben Cowles walk. And then it was an error that could have been a, a play to end the inning as the Charleston Southern third baseman kind of just airmailed Ryan Stoudemire over at first base, allowing Austin Chavis to reach. And then you had the bases loaded for Tommy Gardner, who hits the softest pop-up you've ever seen in the infield. Ryan Risk, the second baseman for Charleston Southern, coming in, could not make a play on it. He had to dive. It was ruled a single. Probably could have been an error, but just such a soft infield pop-up and no infield fly rule because it was kind of a line drive. But either way, that allows a uh, run to score. Terps take the lead as Ben Cowles comes in and they take a 3-2 lead going into the bottom of the sixth. And if you ask Tommy Gardner, he says, yeah, that's an RBI. It doesn't matter how you do it, and especially with two outs, tie game, all you're really looking to do is put the ball in play, make the defense make a mistake, hope something good happens, and that's exactly what Gardner did. That's a good approach to have with two outs in that situation. So then Sean Fisher comes back out for the bottom of the six. Remember, he's still going in his longest outing that he's had as a Terp, and you look kind of at, at his pitch. He's never gone this far in a game since high school, and you'll hear more from him himself on this podcast uh, later. But he comes up, he gets Ryan, he walks Ryan Riss to start that inning, and then Corey Muscara comes out to talk to him and says, this is going to be your last batter no matter what. And it was Ryan Stoudemire who hit two ninety eight last season and was arguably the most threatening hitter statistic-wise in this uh, Charleston Southern lineup. He hadn't done anything yet to this point tonight, but a back-and-forth at bat, and... Sean Fisher gets him to strike out swinging, and that is when Rob Vaughn comes out, wants to put Sean Fisher out in a high note, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, and so much confidence going forward as well. Mentioned that he continued to improve and improve as that outing went along. Those two and a third scoreless innings to end his, or three and a third scoreless innings actually, to end his uh, outing. It's a really good sign moving forward as well, building confidence as he has to transition from that role from the bullpen into perhaps a more permanent starting rotation job. So, Sean Fisher comes out of the game. His final line, five and a third, three hits, two runs, neither of those earned, three walks, five strikeouts, did hit one batter. But overall, that's a very successful line, exactly what you're going to want from a guy as your Friday night pitcher going forward. Yeah, stability is really the name of the game uh, in this situation, this kind of fluid situation that the Terps have in terms of starting pitching. And if Sean Fisher can pump out lines like that, Every Friday night, there's going to be a really strong argument for him to be in that role permanently moving forwards. So then Sam Bellow, the freshman, comes in to relieve Sean Fisher, making his Terps and collegiate debut as well. He works out of the jam, coming in with a runner on. 
And then the top of the seventh, the Terps provide even more run support. Just going to take you through the inning totally. Troy Schreffler leads off. He works a walk. Randy Bednar gets hit by a pitch. Terps hit by pitches galore this weekend, by the way, as well. We'll get that when we recap the College of Charleston game because Terps are just piling them on. And then Seth Owens comes in to relieve Connor Yoder. Maxwell Costas gets hit by a pitch. Justin Vogt gets hit by a pitch. So that allows a run to score. It's a 4-2 Maryland lead. Tucker Flint, who he doesn't get hit by a pitch, but he does what he's been doing all night. He gets another hit. It's a single to the right side, and that allows one more run to score. So Randy Bednar comes in. Finally, Seth Owens uh, settles down. He strikes out Ben Cowles and Austin Chavis back-to-back. But then he lost his zone again. Tommy Gardner walks to get a run in. And Chris Aline, who had himself a night, another double, gets himself two ribbies. And after that, going into the bottom of the seventh, the Terps with an 8-2 lead. As it, it, the offense didn't really come alive yet. Flint and Aline had the hits, but they were just finding ways to get on base. And that's how you put together crooked numbers in innings, in situations where the game is tight. It's really close not a whole lot of offense either way. Just find ways to put guys on and find ways to bring them home. Tommy Gardner with that big uh, walk. Chris Eileen with that big double, his second extra base hit of the day after that uh, one to lead it off. And that's how you got to do it sometimes when the offense isn't necessarily clicking the way you want to. There's good pitching on the other side. Just find ways to get on base. And it was off to the races from there for the Terps. And then another error on Ben Cowles, or not on Ben Cowles, excuse me, on Tommy Gardner in the bottom of the seventh inning. But two more strikeouts added on for Sam Bello. No runs across the plate. We go to the top of the eighth inning. It's a scoreless inning for uh, Charleston Southern's pitching staff. Bottom of the eighth, Sam Bello comes back out, and he strikes out the side. Gets Ryan Stoudemire, Kyle Horton, and Dante Bleakney, three of the best hitters in Charleston Southern's lineup, put him all down swinging. Had a pretty close opportunity at an immaculate inning as well. Yep. Eight straight strikes to start out the eighth inning. Just couldn't finish it off, but I'm sure he'll take that bottom of the eighth no problem anyway. And then you go to the top of the ninth inning. You're not sure what the Terps are going to do in the bottom of the ninth pitching-wise. as They haven't named a closer this year, also in an 8-2 game. You don't know what they're going to do. But the Terps decided they were going to tack on a few more runs before that anyway. So, a again, a two-out hole for Maryland. Ben Cowles lines out. Austin Chavis grounds out to start that game. But then a Tommy Gardner single right back up the middle. Chris Aline gets hit by a pitch. Another Terp hit that night. They definitely led the nation after... Friday night, we did uh, eventually check the stats. They're actually third in the nation in hit-by-pitches now as uh, Texas Tech got pretty beat up over the weekend. But later in that top of the ninth inning, Troy Schreffler, who I said it on the broadcast, was struggling that night, already had a couple of strikeouts. And as I say that, he drives one out to deep center field for a triple uh, to score both Gardner and Alley and make it a 10-2 Terps lead. Bednar with a single to score Schreffler, and it's 11-2 Maryland going into the bottom of the ninth. And kind of the ironic thing is, no, yes, Maryland hasn't really named a closer, but if this was MLB rule, Sam Bello would end up with the save because he ended up pitching the final three and two-thirds innings. Absolutely. So then in the bottom of the ninth inning, it's another one-two-three inning for Sam Bello, and he ends the game with a strikeout looking of Justin Dayhill, which uh, just kind of was icing on the cake for the Terps pitching staff. They pretty much went A to B. Sam Bello, a guy who we know has starter potential, but wanted to give Sean Fisher the first couple of innings. And then Sam Bello, they stretched him as a reliever. He threw 58 pitches, and he goes three and two-thirds, one hit, no runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. 12 total strikeouts between Fisher and Bellow. Terps get an 11-2 win, and that's how you want to start off your season. Especially using only two pitchers on a Friday night game is crucial. We talked about that 
in the kind of the preseason podcast with Hunter Parsons, the starter going long distance. But if you can have a stretch bullpen guy like Sam Bellow was on Friday, that does just exactly the same job for your bullpen going forward through the rest of the weekend. And the Terps being able to save that bullpen Friday night really came in handy throughout the rest of the season. We'll get a chance to talk about that later. So it was a quick turnaround for the Terps. It was a 6 o'clock start time on Friday night at Charleston Southern. And then an 11.30 a.m. start time against Iona at the College of Charleston on Saturday morning. So the Terps with a quick turnaround. They got up early, got to the field early for batting practice. They were the designated home team in this one. And they were starting with a freshman on the mound in Nick Dean. And, of course, we know Fisher made the start Friday. But the Terps were really relying on this freshman pitching staff. And I spoke to Corey Muscara before that game against Iona. And he said that, you know, Dean and Bello are two guys that really have good mindsets as pitchers, really mature even though they're freshmen, and, and that's the kind of trust that he had in them making their first collegiate appearances in the first opening weekend for the Terps, Dean being the first pitcher to start an opening weekend game for the Terps since Tyler Blome back in 2017, a year where he won Big Ten Freshman of the Year. So the Terps go to uh, College of Charleston. They get a win over Iona 8-2. to Here's the highlights from that game. After starting their season off with a win over Charleston Southern, the Maryland Terrapins are back in action today to take on the Iona Gales. And he delivers to Mendoza. It's cut on and missed. First strikeout in the career of Nick Dean. And there's two away. Now the 0-2. Caught on and missed. Another strikeout for Dean. And he escapes any further trouble. But Iona strikes first in this one. An RBI single for Sam Punzi. Puts the Gales up 1-0. The 0-2 is hit hard through the gap in short. Into left field for a base hit. Flint is being waved home. The throw to the plate is cut off. Flint scores. It's an RBI single for Castus. His first hit of the year. And this game is tied at 1. Dean's 3-1 to Thompson. Hit up the middle, drops into center field for a base hit. Rounding third, headed home is Becker. Here's the throw home, it's wide. Becker scores, moving over to second is Furman. It's an RBI single for Thompson, and it's a 2-1 lead for the Gales. The switch hitting Alleyne, hits from the right-hand side against the lefty Ferrioli, and he swings at the 1-2, hits it down the left field line, and drops in for a base hit and rolls all the way to the wall. Alleyne rounds first, he's headed for second, and he's in there standing up. He's got a double. He swings at the first pitch, lines it out to left field. Coming over is Field, and he chases it down. Tagging from third, headed home is Alleyne. There's no throw. He'll score easily, and this game is tied on the sack fly from Randy Bednar. Tough inning here for Ferrioli. Gives up the leadoff double to Alleyne. Hits a couple of batters, gives up another hit to Costas. As the 0-1 is driven out to left field. Pretty deep. Going back is Field. He looks up, and it's off the wall in left field. Costas scores. Everyone else will stop. They go station to station as they weren't sure how that ball was going to play off the wall. But it's an RBI single for Ben Cowles, and the Terps take a 4-2 lead. Now Gardner up with the bases loaded and two outs. He swings at the first pitch, hits it right back to Ferrioli. It bounces off of him. It's a fair ball, and it's a base hit for Tommy Gardner. Coming in to score is Vote. And now Dean comes set for the 1-2 with two outs. Dean kicks and fires. Cut on and missed. Nick Dean strikes out the side in the top of the fourth and sends the Gales down scoreless. 0-2 is line drive into center field. Drops in for a base hit in front of Mendoza. Cowell stops at second. The first hit of the season for Austin Chavis. 0-2 to Bubba. Hit hard into right field and drops in for a base hit. Cowell scores. Being waved home is Chavis. He's stopped and he's held up and they've got Gardner in a rundown. He's got nowhere to go as Chavis stays at third. So Gardner is out. Bubba moves over to second. So it's a 7-2 Maryland lead on the RBI single from Chris Alleen. I have to think the Terps will 
Let the runner take second here as that one is flown out to left field. This should do it. Tucker Flint is there. He makes the catch for the final out of the game. The Terps start the season 2-0. They secure an 8-2 victory over Iona here in South Carolina. So as you heard there, the Terps with an 8-2 victory over Iona. It was pretty back and forth throughout the first couple of innings. The Terps allowing a run in the first evening it in the bottom of the first. Iona with one in the top of the second, but then it was that third inning where the Terps blew it open. We'll break down the play-by-play -play for you now. Nick Dean goes out in the top of the first, gets uh, Jake Liberatore the first batter out. He had had a very red-hot start on Friday night against the College of Charleston. And then a Pacone double, but then bouncing back out of the inning, Punzi with an RBI single and then a strikeout against Jake Field to end that inning. Nick Dean, just one run. Obviously, you want to start scoreless if you can, but Nick Dean, knowing his offense was behind him, a pretty solid top of the first. We go to the bottom of the first inning. Chris Aline again aggressive in his first at-bat, and that against Mario Ferrioli, who was returning from injury. Aline jumps on the first pitch, gave it a ride, but it was a fly out to center field. Tucker Flint hit by a pitch. So the Terps continuing to get on base. Randy Bednar works a walk, and Maxwell Costas, who went hitless, on Friday night, the reigning Big Ten Freshman of the Year with an RBI single through the left side, allowing Tucker Flint to score and evening the game at one. Well, going back to the top of the first inning, I think it's a really good job by Nick Dean to only allow the one run, not to get too rattled in his first college appearance. He gives up the extra base hit, is able to settle down. Yes, he does give up the RBI single to make it one nothing Iona, but the strikeouts bookending either side of that extra base hit. Keep it a one nothing game. You know your offense just put up double-digit runs the night before, and they're going to have your back, and they did, of course, in the bottom of the first inning as well. So good composure from the freshman in that top half of the first. So Dean was working pretty quickly in those first two innings before he really settled down. So in the top of the second inning, he allows a Derek Becker single and a Julian Thompson RBI single, making it a 2-1 Iona lead. But after that single, you know, his defense kind of uh, got him in some trouble. So Libertor reaches on a fielder's choice, and then he gets Pacone to fly out to end the inning. And after that, Maryland went down 1-2-3 in the bottom of the second against Mario Ferrioli. But then Nick Dean comes out for the top of the third, issues a walk to start the inning, but then gets out of it scoreless. And that's kind of the motivation shift that Dean needed, working that scoreless inning with his team only down by one. Yeah, that's the kind of confidence that can give to a freshman when you you find the game starting to turn against you a little bit. You've given up runs in each of the first two innings. Then you come back with a solid inning. You're able to wiggle out of a bit of a jam, left two guys on base in that top half of the third inning. That gives you confidence going forward. So then the bottom of the third inning was where the Terps really had their Biggest scoring inning. Again, I'm not going to necessarily say offensive just yet because there was a lot of hit-by-pitches, a lot of walks here, breaking it down. Chris Aline leads off with a double down the left field line. You love to see that because it's exactly what he did on Friday night. And if he can hit from that right side of the plate to start the season against lefties, that could be really big for Maryland, even though they're going to be facing all righties this weekend. There are a lot of big left-handed arms in the Big Ten. So then Allen moves over to third on the wild pitch. Tucker Flint gets hit by a pitch to put runners on the corners. And then Randy Bednar with a sack fly ties the game at two. Maxwell Costas comes back up, gets himself another hit. That moves Flint over to second. Justin Vogt gets hit by a pitch to load the bases. And this was interesting here. He got hit by the pitch on the hand, and the umpire signaled for a time and told Vogt to stay there, but then told him to walk down to first. So Justin Vogt almost ready to argue that call. 
but luckily for him and the Terps didn't have to, and he was okay, so he goes down to first. Bobby Zamarzlak, who was making his Terps debut as their DH, he worked a walk, which uh, that walked in Tucker Flint, giving Maryland a 3-2 lead. Mario Ferrioli starting to get into some trouble here. And then Ben Cowles gave one a ride out to left. It was off the wall, and because of how well the left fielder, uh, Jake Field, played it for... Iona, it was just a single for Cowles, but it was an RBI as Costas came in to score, making it a 4-2 Maryland lead. And then Austin Chavis with a strikeout. Tommy Gardner hit one back to the pitcher, hit off Ferrioli's glove, kind of sailed into the air, and by the time that it came back down to the ground, no one was there to make a play on it. So Justin Vogt comes in to score, 5-2 Maryland, and that knocked Mario Ferrioli, the starter who missed all of 2019 recovering from Tommy John surgery, knocked him out of the game in the third inning, his final line. He goes two and two-thirds, five hits, five earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. So the Terps able to get to Ferrioli early. And whenever you can bat around, especially this early in the season, that's a really good thing for your offense to give them a lot of confidence, and that's exactly what Maryland did in the bottom of the third. The Terps batted around once each, one time on Friday against uh, Charleston Southern, and then one time against Iona on Saturday. So then you go to the top of the fourth inning. Nick Dean really settles down. Tommy Gardner makes a throwing error at third to allow the leadoff hitter on, but then three straight strikeouts after that, and that's where Dean really started hitting his spots and looking good. And it's the same exact thing as on Friday night uh, with Fisher getting better as the outing goes along, kind of settling into uh, season play against real opponents. Uh, moving forward, that's a really good thing for the Maryland pitching staff. So Terps go down scoreless in the bottom of the fourth against the Iona relievers. Then in the top of the fifth, it was Nick Dean back out there again. Terps really wanting to stretch him if they can, but he gives up a leadoff double. And then another fielding error, this time by Ben Cowles, allows Sam Punzi to score. And then a wild pitch by Nick Dean puts runners at second and third. And then with uh, Dean getting into some trouble, he does strike out Cannon to uh, make it two outs in the inning or to make it one out in the inning. So Dean, again, ends on a high note as Rob Vaughn came out to take him out. But for the second straight game, someone who had never started a game in college before gets a big strikeout, and then Rob Vaughn pulls him. I think that's a, a conscious decision Definitely. by Rob Vaughn to let those guys go out on a high note, make sure that they have some confidence going over into the next outing because he knows this is a marathon. It's not a sprint this college baseball season. So to have them with that mindset of, hey, we know that we can – produced because we just did going into games this weekend, next weekend, the weekend after that. Definitely a conscious decision by the young manager. And then replacing a freshman with a freshman, uh, Rob Vaughn and Corey Muscaro bring in former Pascac Hills Cowboy Ryan Ramsey, and he gets a strike him out, throw him out double play uh, of Derek Becker and Justin Vote a great throw to get the runner and another scoreless inning for the Terps pitching staff. It's a 5-2 Maryland lead going into the bottom of the fifth. Now the Terps went down scoreless in that inning, but then Ramsey back out there for the top of the six, works a 1-2-3. Bottom of the sixth inning, the Terps get one more run as Randy Bednar up, reaches on a throwing error by Iona's third baseman, allowing Tucker Flint to come in after he had already gotten another double, continuing his hot hitting on the weekend. So 6-2 Maryland going into the top of the seventh, and Ryan Ramsey works, issues a leadoff walk, but then gets out, gets the next three batters out, and uh, the Terps are looking really good. Uh, Dean and Ramsey impressing uh, through the first uh, six innings. Yeah, we talked about the freshman's uh, class in its entirety, and we're starting to see kind of the ramifications of that, the number seven recruiting class in the country and already making an immediate impact. It's exactly what Rob Vaughn wanted to see. 
So then the Terps get two more in the bottom of the seventh inning to make it an 8-2 lead. The first one being an RBI single from Chris Aline and Randy Bednar working a walk with the bases loaded in that inning as well. Austin Chavis got his first hit as a Terp after a bit of a slow start. Went 0 for 5 on Friday night against Charleston Southern, but finally got his first hit in the bottom of the seventh against Iona. Into the top of the eighth, Ryan Ramsey back out there for Maryland. Terps don't want to stretch him too much. Let's a couple of runners on to start the inning. Cannon with a single, and then Derek Becker works a walk. So Ryan Ramsey comes out, and Sean Hine goes in, a guy who had uh, definitely some struggles adjusting to the D1 life last year, but Hine a big strikeout against his first batter that he faces and then works out of the inning without allowing any runs and a really good sign from Sean Hine who, who looked to be much more confident out there on the mound. And a lot of guys left on base for the Gales in total. They left a baker's dozen runners on base over the course of this game. That really was the difference and it's because of the composure of the Maryland pitching staff to get out of jams. So the Terps go down scoreless in the bottom of the eighth, came back out top of the ninth. Sean Hine struck out Pacone and then allowed a single but then got the uh, next batter, Sam Punzi, one of the biggest hitters on Iona's team out and uh, then allowed one more single. So with two runners on, he got Cannon to fly out to left to end that game. A big confidence booster for Sean Hine. And just like that, the Terps wrap up the 8-2 victory. The final pitching line for Nick Dean, like I mentioned, he goes four and two-thirds, six hits, two runs, both earned, two walks, six strikeouts in his Maryland debut. Ryan Ramsey relieves him and gets the win, technically, going two and a third, allowing just one hit, no runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. And Sean Hine uh, in to close it out, doesn't get a save, obviously, but two innings, two hits, no runs, no walks, and three strikeouts. They had a pretty solid performance all the way around by Maryland. I think that was probably their most complete game of the season against a really quality opponent like Iona. Really good offense, really good defense, clutch hitting as well. So then Maryland had a 2-0 uh, record going into their game against Charleston on Sunday. Finally, the team that they went down there to play and they were going to play him on Sunday. The game's supposed to be at 1, but it was moved up to noon due to some weather that was in the area. And when you have rain, you're always going to get some exciting things, I like to say, in the baseball world. Whenever there's rain and a close game, it's going to be all the makings of a classic. Don't know if you would say this one's a classic, but an extra inning game. The Terps win 4-2, to a comeback victory in extra innings. Here's the highlights. Three days, three games, three different opponents, and a chance for the Maryland Terrapins baseball team to start 3-0. and Thanks for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network. Zach Solon and Taylor Smythe with you. As the Terps get set to wrap up their opening weekend, they will take on the College of Charleston Cougars, VO2. Caught on and missed. That's strike three. Two strikeouts in the inning for Sean Burke. He sends the Cougars down scoreless. We go to the second, tied at zero. Burke with a long look at Belzer, delivers the 0-2. Fastball called strike three, and Burke sends the Cougars down scoreless in the fourth. The freshman excited about that one. He works out of a two-runner on jam. Righty-righty matchup here. Zollner deals the 3-2. It's grounded right back to him off his glove. Cowles fields. No one to flip it second. He steps in the back, throws to first. Not in time, so the run scores. It's 1-0 Charleston. And the 1-2 as the runner goes. is cut on a miss. Throw to second. Got him. Great throw from Justin Vote. A strike him out. Throw him out. Double play. Righty-righty matchup here. Stain deals the 1-2. It's grounded up the middle. Through into center field for a base hit. Stagaberg scores, it's an RBI single for Hawkins, and it's 2-0 College of Charleston. 
Now the 0-1 is grounded to the right side, through into right field for a base hit. That's the kind of start you need this inning if you're the Terps. Chris Aline has hit in all three games, and he's aboard. Now the 1-0 is hit the opposite way out to left field, down the line, and it drops in for a base hit. And it rolls all the way to the wall, picked up by Hawkins. Stopping at third is Aline, into second with a double is Tucker Flynn, and the Terps are moving here in the top of the ninth. Here is Bednar, righty-righty matchup. Two in scoring position for the Terps. Bednar hits one the other way to right field. Going back, Hansis, and he makes the catch. Tagging from third is Aline. Going second to third is Flint. Aline scores. The deficit is cut in half, and the Terps have the tying run 90 feet away. The 1-1 one -one to Panero. He bunts. There's the squeeze. Coming home is Flint. He scores. The throw to first is in time to get Panero. So there's two away, but this game is tied. Now the 2-1. Grounder first, Panero scoops it up, steps on the bag himself, and we are going to extras. Here's Tommy Gardner, he swings at the first pitch, hits it to the right side, and past the diving Stagerberg into right field for a base hit. Tommy Gardner, his second hit of the day, he's gotten a lot of those this weekend. Good, the righty, looks to the runner at second a couple of times, now delivers to the batter. It's inside, gets away from Joe Boy. Both runners move over, he still can't find it. Heading home is Gardner, and he is going to score. He takes two bases, and the Terps have the lead here in the 10th. Good sets, the 2-2 to Flint delivers. Inside, gets away from Choboy. Chavis is going to score. He crosses home, and it's a 4-2 Terps lead. Now Labonte on the mound with a chance to close it out. The 2-2. Grounded to short, Cowles fields on a couple of hops, throws to first in time, and the Terps defeat the Cougars 4-2 in 10 innings. So there you have it, Maryland starting off slow, scoreless through the first eight innings, down 2-0 going into the top of the ninth. They tie it, score two more in the 10th on a couple of wild pitches, and then the Terps pitching staff and Trevor Labonte close it out. We'll break down that game for you right now. And it was a really good outing to start for Charleston pitcher C.J. Zerwinski. And Zerwinski was a freshman as well. He was making his first career start. He goes five scoreless, three hits, no walks, two strikeouts against the Terps hitters. And Maryland just not able to get anything done against Zerwinski. Well, you mentioned that the time change uh, made it move an hour earlier up. That can affect players. They are obviously very human. Baseball players are creatures of habit. So, yes, it can affect pitchers, but it can also affect hitters in your pregame routine, thinking ahead, what am I going to do this point in time before the game, 60 minutes before the game, 30 minutes before the game, 15 minutes before the game. And goose eggs all the way across the board for the first five innings for both teams. I think that was a bit of a ramification of that. Well, we talked about Zerwinski, but arguably the more impressive freshman was on the turf side that day. Sean Burke, the redshirt freshman who was battling injury all last year, recovering from injury, I should say, finally making his first collegiate start. And boy, did he shine because he allowed just one run in the sixth, and that was all he had. I'm going to read you his line right now because it was a scoreless game until that bottom of the sixth. But Sean Burke goes five-plus innings, allowing three hits, does allow the one run, three walks, and eight strikeouts. That leads the Maryland pitching staff. And Burke just looked absolutely phenomenal on Sunday. And when you can have depth in your starting rotation, that is absolutely everything, especially when we get into March and April and May in conference play. If Sean Burke or somebody else on this Maryland team can go out, give you five innings of one-run baseball on a Sunday afternoon, you're going to be in a really good position to win a lot of series. So it was a scoreless ball game, like I said, until the bottom of the sixth inning where Harrison Hawkins led off with a double and Ari Sikopoulos with a single to put runners on the corners. That brought in Elliot Zollner, the fuzz who we saw for the first time this season, just one of two seniors on the Maryland roster, but he gets Matt Lobeck to uh, hit into a fielder's choice. So Hawkins does score, but... Really working out of some trouble was Zollner, and then he strikes out Sears to end the inning, 
And uh, that was also a strike him out, throw him out, double play. So Zollner limiting the damage, just a one nothing College of Charleston lead after six. And that kind of senior leadership is necessary. We've talked so much about the freshman class, but who's going to lead them, not only the coaching staff, but there needs to be senior leadership on this team. And Zollner comes in, does a really good job, and limits the damage. So the top of the seventh is where things got interesting, as you heard in the highlights as the weather was starting to come in, so you were not sure how severe the rain was supposed to be, were they going to be able to finish the game? And at this point, if College of Charleston is leading and they cancel the game, they're going to get the win. So Tucker Flint pops up to short. There's one out. Randy Bednar strikes out swinging. There's two outs. Maxwell Costas comes up and works a walk, moves over to second on a pass ball. Then Justin Vogt is up, and on a very, very tight zone from home plate umpire Craig Alden, Justin Vogt works a walk, much to the dismay of the coaching staff for College of Charleston. Their pitching coach actually ejected after that, arguing the call when he went out to talk to his pitcher. But then it was Trad James out there for College of Charleston, on a 3-2 count, strikes out Troy Schreffler looking on a huge call that worked out of the jam, uh, having runners at second and third for Maryland. And at that point, Maryland had put Michael Panero in for Maxwell Costas as a, as a running replacement uh, to try and be more aggressive on the base paths. And it was, sorry, it was a first and second jam, Panero going in for Costas uh, from second base. And that takes Maxwell Costas, one of your biggest bats out of the game. But Rob Vaughn really wanted to get the run there to tie it, but couldn't do it. And that is good understanding of the situation from Rob Vaughn. I have no problem with that. Not only is Michael Panero a solid option at the plate as well, but realizing it's a one-run game, we might not get to play all nine innings. This might be our last chance. You have to treat it almost like it is the ninth inning with that rain coming down. And Panero is faster than Costas. He's a better chance to score from second on a single. So I have no problem with the decision from Rob Vaughn, obviously, though, the Terps just couldn't get it done in the seventh. So then in the bottom of the seventh, Elliot Zollner comes out, and we have another Terps debut. Connor Stain, the Jersey native, comes in, works a 1-2-3 inning. Terps freshman looking really solid to start. And then in the top of the eighth inning, the Terps again not able to get anything done. They go down in order 1-2-3, running out of time here as, as the Terps are, are running out of opportunities to score in the rain, holding off for right now. Bottom of the eighth inning, a ground out to start the inning from Trotter Harlan, but then Luke Stagerberg triples off of Connor Stain and Harrison Hawkins with a single to score him, making it a 2-0 College of Charleston lead. And then a couple of more runners on, knock Connor Stain out of the game, bringing in Mark DeLuya. And that was kind of when College of Charleston took a, a sizable lead at that point in time because Maryland's offense was not clicking at all over the first eight innings or so. And they had, they had guys on base, couldn't bring them home, and you're thinking, is this going to be the one that Maryland drops out of this first three? So Mark DeLuya comes on, gets McAllister to strike out, and then walks Sears, but then gets Hansis to strike out, looking limiting the damage just one more run, so a 2 nothing lead. Nothing that Maryland can't come back from, but they only have one chance to do it. And, well, they got it done. The offense finally coming alive here. Chris Aline with a leadoff single. Tucker Flint with a double, moving Aline over to third. And then Randy Bednar with a sack fly, brings it within one. And then Michael Panero up in a big spot. Now, Maxwell Costas, this is his spot, the cleanup spot in the order and you don't have his bat there. Michael Panero, who had not been swinging that hot of a bat, it was his first at-bat of the season. He swings away. He fouls off the first pitch he sees, but then the Terps put the suicide squeeze on. Panero lays a bunt down the first baseline, and by the time any fielders got to it, Tucker Flint was already across home plate, and the game was tied. And that fundamental play is absolutely huge for Maryland. Not only for this game, it's great to start out 
your first weekend of the season 3 and 0 but also that collective memory because there's going to be a time in April when Maryland's going into the top half of the ninth inning and they're down 3 to 1 or they're down 2 to nothing or they're down 4 to 2 and they're going to think back to games like this when they were able to come back as breeding that kind of culture for the team over the course of an entire season that they know that they can come back from deficits late on in games. Absolutely. And all this offense, by the way, coming against the only Cougar on this Charleston team to receive CAA preseason honors in Josh Price. So the Terps really getting to one of the better relievers on the College of Charleston team. That brings Mark DeLuya back out for the bottom of the ninth, and he works a scoreless inning. So we go to extras. The weather's still holding off. Brooks Lucas comes into pitch in the top of the tenth for Charleston. He strikes out Ben Cowles, and then Tommy Gardner with another single. He was racking up hits this weekend, a very good sign from him. And then with Aaron Perez, who had not gotten a hit yet in his Terps debut due up, we had another debut, Tavin Shahidi, uh, getting his first at-bat in a Maryland uniform. Rob Vaughn electing to go for some power there, but he works a walk. So it's runners on first and second as Austin Chavis came in to pinch run. And then Ty Good, a freshman for Charleston who had pitched the night before against Iona, comes in, throws two wild pitches, allowing Gardner and Chavis to score. And just like that, it's a 4-2 Maryland lead going into the bottom of the 10th. And not only did they have the lead, but all the momentum as well going the way of the Terps into that last frame. And then Trevor Labonte comes in to relieve Deluya. He was a guy who was pretty much thrown into a starter role last year, really excelled late in the season out of the bullpen, and he comes out of the bullpen here in a closer role, uh, to say the least, and he works a 1-2-3 inning. The Terps win 4-2, to a comeback 10-inning win over College of Charleston, and they start the season 3-0. and And that's everything going into this next weekend against Rhode Island. A lot of confidence, as I mentioned at the top, of the podcast they won in a couple of different ways as well they had to come back they had huge innings they had really good pitching really good bullpen pitching as well especially so that recaps the Terps weekend and if you were uh, listening with us uh, throughout the weekend I thank you for joining us and I hope you tune in all season long so Ben now we'll get into uh, a couple of the fun things uh, first off we're every week on this podcast uh, we are going to pick a Terp of the week Ben and I will each choose uh, which Terp we thought had the best performance or maybe even the most surprising performance or even someone who didn't stand out but just held down the fort, you know, kind of provided the foundation. So, Ben, for you, who was your Terp of the Week in opening weekend 2020? I got to go Tucker Flint. The numbers just absolutely jump off of the page. Six for his first 11, picked up an RBI as well. He sacrificed his body a little bit, got hit by three different pitches, stole a base as well. uh, Coming into this Maryland lineup, not a whole lot of – a real clarity, sure where exactly he's going to fit in, the freshman from Rhode Island, but he came in and absolutely dominated. Uh, not a bad pick at all. I was really impressed with the freshman this year, obviously, I, or this weekend. Obviously, you have to be the, the number seven recruiting class in the country, the the highest rank that, that Rob Vaughn or, or this Maryland team has ever had. But I got to go with a returner. I got to go with Sean Fisher. The Terps tapped him to be their Friday night starter, a guy who had never started a game before, but Rob Vaughn wanted a guy who had experience in a Maryland uniform, so he went with Fisher, who went five and a third, three hits, two runs, neither of those earned, three walks, five strikeouts against Charleston Southern. He gets the win, the first one of the season, and last year Maryland dropped their first game of the season, and they didn't win until game three. So when you start the season off 1-0, that just gives you so much momentum that I think really helped the Terps going into the weekend. No, it definitely gives them a lot of momentum, gives them a lot of confidence and understanding that, yes, we have all these really talented freshmen. Are we going to be able to put a winning product on the field, though, parlay all that talent into wins because that isn't something that a whole lot of teams can do, turn freshmen 
into wins and to get those first three under your belt really really helpful coming into this weekend and Sean Fisher a big part of the Terps weekend he will be the Friday night starter at least for their foreseeable future for this Maryland team and earlier this week I had the chance to sit down with Sean Fisher and talk not just about transitioning to this starter role but also just his journey through Maryland thus far and kind of what his inspiration has been in his D1 collegiate baseball career so here's my interview with Maryland pitcher and Friday night starter Sean Fisher all right, I am now joined by Maryland pitcher Sean Fisher, who is the Friday night starter for the Terps in their season opener against Charleston Southern. Sean, first question, how you doing? Good, man, how are you? I am good. So you made your first career start on Friday night down in Charleston. It was your actually your first start here at Maryland, your third season. So I asked you this last week, but if you can go into a little more detail for me, what did it feel like when your coaches came up to you and said that you were going to be the guy getting the ball on Friday? Um, it was honestly a really cool feeling. I haven't had a start since my senior year of high school. So, I mean, there's been some extended outings, but nothing really like that. So, I mean, learning, like, how to prepare really mentally because you know when you're going to throw the whole week was uh, kind of a new experience for me. So, I mean, I think that was the biggest undertaking because, I mean, it's it's really just throwing in a different inning, throwing in the first versus the seventh. I mean, you're still doing the same game. It's just you now know that, like, oh, hey, I'm throwing on Friday rather than it could be any of the days. And what was the biggest challenge, you think, about that? Like you said, you know, you come into a game, it doesn't matter what inning it is, it's a lot of the pitcher's mindset. But was anything different about it knowing that, like, when you came into the game, luckily for you at least, your team had your back, they got a run in the first inning. Um, but going out there and kind of seeing a lineup the first time through, did, you, did that change your approach at all, or is that something you had just been, you know, ready for uh, the same as you would be as a reliever? Um, I wouldn't really say I changed my approach or anything about it. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna throw what my pitch plan is mm -hmm. to like regardless to anyone. Um, maybe just a little bit, knowing that like I'm gonna see them later on in the game, like multiple times. So whether that be like saving a pitch, like Stodmeyer, I didn't, I didn't throw him a breaking ball all day, and then I got a K in my last pitch of the game to him, knowing that like I hadn't thrown it to him yet. Mm -hmm. So I knew that eventually, like later in the game, I could get him with that, even though he's he's okay swinging and breaking balls. So speaking of that last strikeout you got of arguably Charleston Southern's most threatening hitter of Ryan Stoudemire, that was actually your last pitch you threw in the game. When Rob Vaughn came out to uh, get you, were you surprised at all because you were, were uh, on a high note there? No. Uh, Moose just came out right before that and told me it was going to be my last batter. I knew my pitch count got up because of the second inning, and I wasn't really as efficient, or efficient as – I needed to be. I uh, I lost the zone a couple points throughout the game, but I mean I was I was able to battle and figure some things out and and give my team a chance to win. And uh, that's exactly what you did. And then going forward, do you think that being that Friday night guy is any more important than being a member of the bullpen? I know a lot of players will say no, but th when you went out there on Friday, did you think at all like to take a moment, take it, and say like, you know what, this is a, a fresh new season and you know, I kind of feel a little different because I'm the one trusted to get it started, or, or was the mindset the same? I mean, the mindset was really the same. I know um, before the game, I was really just thinking, like, like I know I had a lot of support behind me, so, like, it, I knew it was a new role, and I was starting a new season, but it really wasn't, like, I'm still playing the same game. Um, after the game, I ended up finding out, like, my host dad from Maine flew down to see me. I saw the... Uh, the two people who used to run my little league were at the game. <laughs> I was so confused to see all that. I mean, it was it was really cool 
to like see all of that support behind me like with all that like i just know that like whatever happens is gonna happen like it's fine and then you speak of that support one guy who you played with since high school and then here at maryland who was the friday night guy for the terps last year was hunter parsons uh what did he have to say to you when he found out you were going to be starting on friday and then uh what did he say to you before the game and then did he did you talk at all afterwards um yeah we, we've been talking quite a bit um when I told him, he was really hyped. He was really happy for me. Um, said things like, like, no one else deserves it better, you know. Um, I've worked hard for it, obviously, and he's seen that throughout plenty of time. Um, and then he sent me a text the day of opening day saying something like, like, don't overthink it or anything like that. Like, you deserve this job. Like, you're good enough to do it. Don't deviate from what you do. Just go out there and attack. And I thought that was awesome, you know, having that support once again from like a, a peer, a close friend was it was really cool. Um, and then we talked again afterwards, just like I know he watched the game because I, I when I got back on the bus, I had a text from him saying like great stuff tonight, <laughs> like just keep building off of it. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And then um, you've obviously known him since high school. Did he at all influence your decision to come to Maryland? And then what was kind of uh, his role to you? Was he a mentor to you growing – or not growing up, but kind of going through your first couple of seasons here? Or did you guys kind of try and improve yourselves together? I'd say – I wouldn't – I mean, I guess you could say he's a mentor in the way that, like, a big brother would be, but, like, nothing super crazy. Um, we kind of just helped each other get better. I feel like, I mean, he had his, like, he was obviously in a different role. He was starting then, and I was a reliever, so we didn't always get to, like, play catch or anything like that. But, like, I, living with him and, like, going back to the apartment, we could always, like, talk about, like, oh, hey, like, try this or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you look at this team, and it's a very young team. Um, but when you look at it, you're actually, as Rob Vaughn said, you're one of the more experienced guys, and that's part of the reason that he trusts you and wanted you out there last Friday. But you've been here, you started, your first year was the same year that Rob Vaughn and this whole coaching staff kind of took over, came into their own, and have been consistent since. What do you say, has, what do you think has changed about your understanding of Division One baseball and Maryland baseball in general from the time you came in as a freshman to now? Um, I'd say just, like, understanding that, like, the other team is not as good as you think you are. And you're also, like, not as bad as you think you are. Because mm -hmm. there's dark times, obviously, in baseball. There's ups and downs. Just understanding that, like, when things are going super good and you think you figured everything out, that you're also not as good as you think you are. Like, you're going to get knocked back down. And then when you're in those ruts where you feel like you can't get out, you're not as bad off as you think you are. So, I mean, just understanding that, like, it's just a game. And you've been playing this game for – how long you know what i mean yeah. like you don't really need to overthink it and i i've learned like throughout my time here that like you can always be your own worst enemy and that's been the biggest thing for me that I've, like caused my own ups and downs and just figuring out how to like just maintain a, a some sort of steadiness throughout everything regardless of what happens i think that my time in the cave helped me figure that out and just translating that here has been the biggest thing. So I want to talk a little bit about your time in the Cape this past summer. You played with Brewster, and it was very much a, a successful season for you, to say the least. You were the team's yeah. reliever of the year. And statistically-wise, you really started picking up 
really throwing some solid outings towards the end of the spring season last year. Going into the summer at, in the Cape, one of the more prestigious leagues uh, along, along college summer ball, and you knew you were going to be facing some of the top hitters in the country, what was one thing you wanted to work on? What was something that your coaches told you to work on, and, and how did you perfect that coming into uh, this season? So going up there, I mean, in the in the Big Ten tournament, and even, like, I didn't throw against Iowa. So, I mean, just, like, the last couple outings, like two or three outings, I was kind of starting to head into, like, a little rut. And I was obviously getting kind of pissed at myself because that always happens. Mm -hmm. um, but going up to the Cape, I remember on the drive up there, I was just thinking, like, like not too many people get to do this. So why waste it with just me being mad at myself or, like, anything like that? Like, it's a new opportunity. So really just go up there and see what happens. And um, I remember the first day I got there, I changed the two-seam grip with the pitching coach because, I mean, I was, I was struggling with it a little bit at the time. And I've stuck with that same grip ever since. But um, so I was like, all right, like, let's believe in this, you know. Um, then I know a goal for the summer was to work glove side fastballs too. So that's what I would do a lot in, like, flat grounds and practice, everything like that. Um, and then even – we threw one time in an inner squad to our own hitters, just like live ABs. And I was working both sides of the play with the fastball, just trying to figure out how to get glove side with the fastball. So that way, like, righties couldn't always just stay over top of it and hit it in the right field. So that was, like, my biggest goal of the summer. And I think that, like, throughout the summer, it obviously got a lot better, my command with my fastball going, being able to go to both sides. Then again, also just, like, trusting a breaking ball to get to that side of the plate, too. It was a big thing. Um, another guy who was a teammate with you up in the Cape is Justin Vogt. Um, what did it mean to have him there with you throughout the summer and also just your relationship with him? The two of you came up together into Maryland, and he's obviously been the, the stalwart behind the plate. Um, you've thrown to him plenty of times over the past couple of years. What do you have to say about his ability to work with different pitchers on this staff and specifically you know, your work with him and what you have to say about that? Um, I love throwing to Vogt. I mean, he's obviously – caught me plenty of times since I've been here so we're on the same page for the most part um but I think that definitely like he's got pretty good feel behind the plate so just like being able to I know I can say anything to him and he's also got there's been times like even in Friday night's game where like he can like I'm missing just a little bit and he can get me back in the zone like things like that just like little things in the game that that you don't always see that I, he's pretty good at doing that and I know over the summer we had one other catcher up there who um, he was a receiving freak. Like, he did so many receiving drills. He was really good at it, and he <laughs> helped vote out a lot with that. And I noticed this weekend really on Sunday when I was just sitting there charting the game, so I'm, like, locked in like yeah. watching every pitch. And he was getting a lot of low strikes for, uh, for Burke. And, I mean, things like that just really help out when, when you know you got a guy behind the plate, like, working for you stealing strikes that were like maybe balls it's just it gives you a confidence like you know you can throw whatever whenever and then you spoke a little bit about Burke and this young pitching staff these guys that have come in this year we saw it this weekend Bellow relieving you on on Friday was absolutely excellent you had Dean getting the start on Saturday Ramsey relieving him and then Burke on Sunday how have they kind of impressed not only you but also the rest of of the players on this team i've talked to the coaches about the freshman class plenty of times but what have the players who've been here for years noticed about this freshman class compared to some other ones over your three years here um I, they're extremely talented and 
even like I'd say Bello, he's probably had the best mindset I've ever seen out of a freshman. I know, especially like compared to me, I was a polar opposite. I came in here like my expectation was like it's college baseball, like these hitters are gonna be so good, like just thinking they're all this and then turning it into like me going to the Cape, I know they're good, so like why do I need to worry about it? Why not just focus on what I do? And Bello, that's all he thinks about is like he's just ripping pitches. Like he's not worried about what the hitter's gonna do, he's just throwing. And that's like one of the biggest things because you're you're obviously not fearing what can happen at that point. Like you're just pitching, and you're all your stuff's gonna play off at that point. So I think that that's like the biggest thing that I've seen so far. A lot of a lot of the mindsets in these these young kids are are pretty good, way different than when I got here. So just a couple of quick questions to uh, get to know you a little better. Uh, are you a major league baseball fan? And who's your favorite team? I am. Um, sadly, the Orioles they struggle <laughs> quite often. But I am an Orioles fan. Is there a specific player you looked up to growing up who you either modeled your game after or just, you know, like to tune into all the time? I always liked Marquecas because, you know, he was oh, a lefty yeah. too. So <laughs> I'm a Yankee fan. And oh, come on. Every time the Orioles would come to play, though, Nick Marquecas was just the yeah. guy who, you know, I had he to respect him. He was the man. Him. He was the man. Yeah. And then um, going forward, you look at uh, all the time you've spent around baseball. What's your favorite baseball memory you've made, either at Maryland or just in general? One thing you can recall that, you know, that's when you found out you love the sport or just like that's why you play the game. One of um, – I'd say one of the coolest baseball experiences I've had was being in, like, the senior all-star game at, at Camden Yards and having, like, a lot of my family come out and support again. Just, like, being able to, like, step on the mound there and just, like, look around. Like, wow. And then you have your whole family there watching you, too. It doesn't really get better than that. Yeah, it nothing was really cool. Nothing like stepping in a uh, a big league stadium. Yeah. So, so uh, one last question. The vibe in the dugout and in the locker room uh, this season, or even in the seasons you've been here, what is one thing that has kind of surprised you about, you know, something you might not have expected about college baseball? Because you said, like, oh, these guys are going to be really good, they're going to be really focused, but obviously there's always a time to let loose. What's been one of the more fun times you've had here at Maryland? I don't know if I can get into all that. <laughs> For the podcast. Yeah, but uh, – <laughs> No, it's definitely a good time. Like it, these, these. I mean, these are your brothers. Like you're with them all the time, whether like we're here at the field or we're hanging out on weekends. But it's, it's a good time. Like you, you get to you get to become really close with these guys, especially like the kids in my class. Like you just come and like grow with them as you go, and I feel like it's the same with every class. But you just get super close with the guys on the team, and that's like honestly a really cool experience. All right. Well, Sean, I thank you uh, so much for joining us. I, it's your first time Absolutely. on the podcast, right? Yeah. All right. Well, Sean will be pitching on the mound this Friday when the Terps take on Rhode Island. And, Sean, look forward to watching you the rest of the season. Thanks. Thank you. So, once again, we thank Sean Fisher for joining us. He's a great guy to talk to. Really enjoyed getting to sit down with him, getting to know him a little better. And I look forward to watching him, as I hope uh, you all look forward to listening to him pitch and seeing him pitch at the Bob this season. Speaking of the Bob Ben, the Terps will finally have their home opener this Friday, February 21st, which uh, at the time we drop this podcast will be just one day away. And like I said, Fish will be out on the mound. The Terps will welcome in the Rhode Island Rams, the same team they started off their 2016 home slate with, and they took two out of three then. Uh, Rhode Island comes into this game or at 1-2 and two on the season. They drop two out of three against Lamar down in Texas to start their season. So Rhode Island looking to pick up a couple of wins on the road against a Power 5 team.
And I think this is a really good opportunity for Maryland to start off the season with momentum at home. We've talked in the preseason podcast about how much better they need to be at home in 2020 and an opportunity against a Rams team that comes from the Atlantic 10, but they struggled in their first couple of games, their first series against the Cardinals, not with a whole lot of momentum, two teams on different trajectories, huge opportunity for Maryland. So when you look at this Rhode Island team, Ben, obviously the Terps with not a lot of experience against them. They've played just three games all time, taking two out of three opening weekend in 2016. But obviously it's a very different Terps team now. Mike Shawarn, who's now in the majors with the Red Sox, actually started the Friday night game that season. So when you look at this Rhode Island team, what's the biggest thing the Terps are going to have to watch out for? Well, I think there's a couple of key guys on this Rhode Island team, and we're going to keep saying their names over and over again. Uh, this weekend, I would imagine. I think if you can key, on, key in on these couple of different players, you're going to have a lot of success. I start off with Austin White, who really struggled in that first weekend series against Lamar. He went just two for 10, but he had a huge step up from 2018 to 2019. 2018, he played 34 games, hit 218. 2019, he played 51 games, hit 298. That's a huge jump. And if he can keep that going in 2020, he's going to cause the Terps a lot, a lot of problems. Another guy who had a lot of trouble against the Cardinals in that opening weekend, but can do a lot of damage. Xavier Vargas from New York hit 300 last season, four home runs, 38 RBIs. He was all state down in high school in New York. So I think he can cause a lot of problems as well. If you can key in on these couple of guys in the middle of the lineup, problem for Rhode Island this year and last year especially was depth, especially towards the bottom of the lineup. So if you can get that middle of the lineup, that chunk of the lineup out, you're going to have a lot of success. So the first game of the series this weekend will be on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, an early start at the Bob, as we won't get into full night games until the weather gets a little warmer. But Friday at 4 o'clock, it'll be Sean Fisher on the mound for the Terps going against the right-hander Justin Cherry for Rhode Island. Ben and I will be on the call for that game. And then on Saturday, a 2 o'clock p.m. start between the Terps and Rams. Nick Dean will start for Maryland, and Nick Robinson is scheduled to pitch for Rhode Island. A battle of righties there. Robinson allowing eight, or allowing uh, enough to chalk up a 8-1-0 ERA across his first start, obviously this early in the season. You don't really look at earned run average. Ben Curtis and Matt Levine will be on the call for the Maryland Baseball Network on that one. And then on Sunday at 1 o'clock, Alex Argyris and myself will have the call for the series finale as Sean Burke will go back out for the Terps. He really was excellent against uh, College of Charleston on Sunday, as you heard us talk, and he'll go against Vitaly Jangles, who was scheduled to pitch for Rhode Island. Should be a good series between the Terps and Rams, and Ben, it's, it's going to be good to have baseball back at the Bob. Oh, it will be great, especially with those early games. The weather kind of still hanging in there. It's February. It can certainly get cool at the Bob, but baseball back at home, nothing better. So that will do it for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Our thanks to Sean Fisher for taking the time to sit with us so we could learn more about how he feels about this Maryland team and just more about his, his love of baseball in general. Ben, I thank you for spending this time with me that we've uh, gotten used to every week. And, of course, uh, we thank you for listening. And if we uh, don't see you at the Bob this weekend, we hope that we uh, can uh, hear you and uh, see you on Mixler uh, we, are, we will have all three games this weekend broadcast live on the Maryland Baseball Network.